Amen. Good morning, Identity Church. So glad to have you this morning. We, uh, we've been fully invested into this uh, holiday season. I know that uh, you know, we've, we've spent time decorating. I know we've decorated our home. We've decorated the church. You know, uh, I know that over the last probably two or three weeks, you know, you've had Thanksgiving and you have Christmas. And you know, I just love this time of year. And decorating and having all of the traditions. Friday we had, uh, how many people did we have over at the house? We had about 12 people that were at our house that were just putting candy together. I mean, I literally almost passed out. That was how much sugar I think I ate. Was I just ate and ate. And it was great. It was awesome. But you know, one of the things that I walked away from, from that whole thing was is I listened to all the conversations and I listened to all the people talking about life and about what life was for them at that moment and you know I always find that you know it, it currently in my part of my life you know I've got uh I got teenage kids uh one of them is about to be 20 and you know in in my life I've had to, you know, I've been a kid, I've, I've had kids. Now I'm starting to get into this place where it's like my kids are actually running things for me. So I, I don't have to pay attention to them as much. You know, one of the things that we could do is because we're seeing our kids grow up is we can get real sad about that. Or we see a grandchild grow up and, and we get real sad about that. You know, my, my daughter is probably going to be married and moved out of my house within a year or so. You know, I actually, you know, have you ever had the weepies? You know, where you where you said, Lord, I've spent all of my life raising this, this child. And now huh, she's going to move out and she's going to do things in her own life. You know, I, I, had, I had several of those moments, and they're okay. I'm, nothing that I'm going to teach or preach about is going to tell you not to have nostalgic moments. But you know what? The thing is, is that every single time I have a nostalgic moment, the Lord puts in my heart and says, you were there for your parents, and it was exactly the same way for them. It was exactly the same way for your grandparents. And you know what? They're going to go ahead and they're going to live life and they're going to have a good time and you're going to have a good time watching them. And you know, that's what I want to establish because last week we talked about traditions. I want to establish traditions for my children. But I don't want them to be so rigid that we walk away and they feel like it's law. Well, you have to show up on Christmas Eve at this particular time and you have to you know, you have to actually put the ham in the, the, in the oven and you have to bake this pie and you have to do this. No. I want it to be that our traditions morph. That our traditions turn into my kids and my kids' kids' traditions. You know, it's great because just like what we talked about last week when I was when I was talking about, you know, Jesus came and broke a lot of traditions that people had put in place because they were actually putting people under bondage. You know, I, I think, you know, Greg and I was having a, a little bit of a conversation after, after that, and he said, yeah, the tradition I had with my dad was go out there and cut the grass. <laughs> well, you know, that sets a precedent from a traditional perspective that if all my traditions are is that I'm put under somebody's thumb, then that's not love, that's law. That means I've got to abide by somebody's, by somebody's, you know, their ways of thinking. And you know what? Now I'm starting to abide by what my kids' ways of thinking are. I'm starting to, to look at how is Christmas going to look like after I have a new son-in-law? How's Christmas going to look like when my son is going to college? What's Christmas going to look like for you 
And see, the thing is, is that every single time you have a tradition, that tradition needs to be passed on. And there needs to be somebody, just like mom and dad, I remember we would go over to Nan and Papa's house every single Saturday, every single Saturday. And then I had kids, and we started having some things at my house. You know, during Christmas, we'd come over to my house because I had little kids. You know, people started allowing for traditions to be morphed. And see, that's what love does, is love gives choice. Love gives us the ability to have a new way of thinking so that we can build a home together. See, I want to take what we talked about last week with the traditions, and I want to talk about home is where our heart lives. Because as we're moving through our life, our home changes. Our traditions change. Our ability to see people the way that we used to see them. I can never look at Caleb as a five-year-old anymore. I can treat him like a five-year-old. But the thing is, is he's becoming a young man. See, I have to let him grow and I have to let our lives grow together. Because if you don't make your home something that is pliable to the people that you love, then guess what? You're going to lose those peoples and those traditions. It happens. I've seen it. So home is where the heart lives. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I'm going to start with... Just like I spoke about a few minutes ago about uh, in 10,000 reasons that Jesus, he came for us. He didn't. He was waiting on go. He loved each and every one of us and he wanted to come and die for us. He wasn't being told by God, hey, I I made a promise a long time ago to a guy named Abraham. And by the way, you're going to go die. That's not the way it happened. Jesus was sitting on go and he was wanting to come down here. And you know what? When he got here, there was some problems. There was some issues. Jesus did not have a home here on earth. In fact, most people didn't even care that he was even here. In fact, most of the time when Jesus went into a place, they were trying to find a way to kill him. In Matthew 8, 20, it says, Jesus said unto the Pharisees and unto his disciples and unto the people that were standing around him, the foxes have holes and the birds have the air, uh, the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So a lot of people go, man, Jesus, he was homeless. He was just a homeless guy walking around. No, Jesus was not a homeless guy. The man lived in Nazareth. He had his own little place. In fact, you can actually go there and see where Peter's house was and you can see where Jesus and them stayed. It was there. He lived there for the most part, for most of his ministry especially. But see, what I want you to understand is that when Jesus came, he didn't have an emissary. He didn't have a kingdom that when he was born into, that it was like, ah, Jerusalem is mine. The city of David is mine. I live in the palace. No, Jesus came and Jesus was outcast. Jesus was put in a manger. Everybody knows the manger story. Oh, and they show this little basket with a, you know, or it's like a, I guess a feeding trough, but, but it's, It's just got hay in it, and they put Jesus on it. Well, you know, all of those things paint a picture that Jesus was not welcome. There was nobody welcoming him. The guy in the end didn't say, I'm kicking out the last guy and putting the king of kings in the last last room that was bought. No, he was like, all I got is a manger out here where the sheep go and eat. Do you know that That Jesus, the most powerful being on any planet, any part of the universe, came and the first thing that happened was they put him in a manger. How do you think a king would be treated? How do you think the Son of God should have been treated? There should have been people coming from all around. 
There should have been all these people saying, hey, I'll open up my house. I will put you up in the finest. It's the Ritz-Carlton or nothing for Jesus, right? But no, that's not what happened. Jesus came and they said, hey, there's a manger. In fact, if you go in, you you look at um, Luke 2.7, it says, And she brought forth her son, talking about Mary, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Do you know that, that every single time that story is told, we have manger scenes and all this other stuff, and, it, and it's really awesome. But nobody wants to connect the fact that Jesus himself didn't even care. God himself didn't even care. I mean, yes, he showed up, he showed up to the shepherds. And he had a chorus of angels singing glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. He didn't didn't go and show up to Herod. You know how Herod found out about it? Was the people who actually was looking for Jesus to come that was out of Babylon? They They were the people that Daniel told. You know, Daniel actually left Babylon better off than what than what he founded. In fact, Daniel was the head magistrate over all the seers. In fact, that's what the magi was, magicians. Magi were magicians. I mean, that, that's something that is in the name. But they, Daniel was the head one. He was the head magi. And what happened was is Daniel actually told him, hey, there is going to be a savior the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that's going to come to the earth. So they started watching out. Daniel gave them signs to foretell what was going to happen. You know, there was thousands. There was up to 10,000 people that followed those magi. They went into Jerusalem. Look, if there was only three guys on a camel and they walked up into Jerusalem, no one would have cared But when 10,000 people shows up and starts knocking on the door, hey, where's this king of kings and the Lord of lords? Herod's flipping out. Oh, if if we can have 10,000 people come from old Babylon, what could this guy do? And see, what I want you to understand is that Jesus himself, when he came to the earth, he only had one purpose. And that one purpose was you and it was me. In fact, I love Matthew uh, 2.13. It says, it says that this is how bad it was for Jesus. This is how bad it was for, for him because when the Magi showed up, Herod was actually ticked. Herod had, had all the, the, the scribes and Pharisees go out and find out where is this king coming from. You know, if I knew the scriptures... Like, I mean, let's just say for an example, we were Jewish and we knew the scriptures and we had been brought up that there's going to be a Messiah that's going to show up. And the first thing that that somebody comes up and says, the Messiah has come. And the guy said, well, let me know where it's at so I can go worship him. And he turns around and said, where's this at? Oh, it's Bethlehem. Go kill them all. Go kill any kid from two years old and down. I mean, I want you to understand, Herod was a Jew. Herod was Jewish. He lived there. He knew everything there was to know about the Messiah. And he still wanted to kill Jesus. He didn't bring him into the palace. In fact, an angel in, in Matthew two thirteen says, An angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you out. For Herod seeks the young child to destroy him. You know, he didn't have a palace. He didn't even have a people. In fact, everybody that was supposed to be waiting for him and doing the whole Hosanna bit, right? They were supposed to be waiting for him to come. There should have been a a parade. We should have had a Christmas parade, right? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. No, they were like, go kill all of the two-year-olds and under. They said it was a bloodbath. 
just because one king was so bloodthirsty, so power hungry that he was like, I don't even want the son of God. I'll try to kill even the son of God. You know, Jesus went to the Gentiles for protections. You know, even in the midst of our greatest troubles, I have found that some of the most loving, awesome people usually came from unbelievers. I would have believers downing me over on this side, and then I'd have some unbelievers going, hey, man, it's going to be okay. You know that a lot of times God's sitting there talking to all men. He's trying to get in the hearts of every single man. And you know what? Egypt was one of these places. You know, in Egypt, they accepted him. They brought him in. They lived off of the money that the Magi brought. Jesus wasn't poor. Jesus could have brought any house he wanted to in Egypt, could have lived there the rest of his life. He was welcomed. And see, what I want you to understand is, is that when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come for comfort. He didn't come for, for support from people. He didn't even care if people liked him. In fact, a couple of verses later in Matthew 2, it says, after he had already been in Egypt for a while, it says, but when he, when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father uh, Herod, he was afraid to go there. So talking about Joseph. And said, being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in the city of Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the prophets, that he shall be called a Nazarene. Now I want you to understand, if you go and read any of the Gospels, they would come and they would ask, where's this guy from? Oh, he's from Nazareth. And they go, what, what good has come out of any Nazarene city? See, that was the whole thing was that everybody knew all the Pharisees and, and Sadducees and all of them, the scribes, they knew that Jesus was, was from Bethlehem. But they forgot about all the other scriptures that said that he would be in Nazareth, and that he would be a Nazarene. And see, they would always go, oh, he can't be the Messiah. So he didn't even have the pedigree that he was supposed to have if he had said, hey, I'm, from, I'm actually from Bethlehem. If he had said, I was from Bethlehem, he would have actually had had some of them go, oh, okay, well, you must be the Messiah. But see, Jesus said, no, I'm going to be a Nazareth. I'm going to be a Nazareth. And I want to give you a couple of these words here because, you know, a lot of times we just kind of go, oh, well, Nazareth is just a place. Um, they actually did a really good song called Love Hurts, too. So if you like, you know, music from the 70s, that go back and listen to that. But dwell is to have a permanent home, a house, somewhere that you reside. That is when it says here that he came and he dwelt in that city. That was his city. He made it his home. Just like I, I came from, you know, we were in Forestdale and... I was in Gardendale, and now I'm, I'm, I'm part of Alabaster. You know, there's not a whole lot of, you know, how you can say uh, Gardendalian or whatever. If you try to say Alabaster whatever, at the end of it, it comes out almost like a cuss word. So I've had a lot of people go, where do you reside from? Uh, Alabaster. And I was, because I would actually go, oh, I'm from Garden, I'm a Gardendalian or I'm a Forestdalian, but if you start trying to put alabaster with some of those words, man, ooh, it gets really, really hairy there. But Galilee, Galilee, excuse me, Galilee, this northern part up here, if you see my map, this was actually a Palestinian area. There was more Palestinian, Sumerian type people that weren't Jewish. There were some Jews, and and, and it was it was an area that that was kind of patrolled and, and kept and maintained as a part of the Jewish uh, infrastructure. But there was also a lot of people from, from Palestine and, and that area of Capernaum and Galilee, Nazareth, uh, Cana, uh, right around uh, the Sea of Galilee. But Nazareth here in this scripture means the guarded one. So 
you could say that literally Nazareth became sort of like a safe haven for Jesus. It became a place where he was going to be protected. Because once they moved back there, they didn't have any problems until he turned 30 years old and started telling people that, hey, I'm the son of God. A Nazarene is someone who is separated one. If you go study out the scriptures about Nazarenes, they were always a separate people. They tried to stay to themselves. That's one of the reasons why when Jesus turned 30 and he come out, he actually went to Capernaum and he lived there throughout his next three years of his ministry. Because Nazareth was like, hey, I'm, I'm staying to myself. We're not, you know, if he had had a home base out of Nazareth, there was really no other place for him to go. So what I wanted you to understand was that Jesus came and he had to be protected. He was protected by the Gentiles. He was protected by the Nazarenes. He was protected for a particular time. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, well, Dusty, what does this have to do with anything? You know that God is constantly trying to put protections for you and for me. You know, sometimes we want to go to the we want to go to the to the Christian people. Or we want to go to the people who we've we think are going to protect us because they they're the, the good people. But you know what? I've actually known people that were good to me that they didn't go to church. Now, it's good to be with church people. It's good to be with all of us. Thank God y'all are all here. But what I want you to understand is, is that sometimes when we need an answer, you know, I'll point people to, to some real heathen people and say, hey, they know, how to, they know how to do banking or they know how to do, you know, cybersecurity. I work for a cyber, I'm a cybersecurity engineer also. You know, there's been a lot of people who have mentored me that did not believe in God. You know, there's been a lot of people that have mentored me and been there for me that I, that I needed along the way. And I could have shunned those people and I could have stayed. But as a part of my dwelling, as a part of the protection that God had for me, he brought people into my life. He brought them in to show me what to do, show me how to do things. See, Jesus was constantly and totally around people that did not believe God. I mean, in Nazareth here, it was mainly Palestinian people. It was mainly Samaritans. They didn't believe the same thing as the Jews. If he had wanted to be in the middle of the Jewish stronghold, he would have moved only about 20 miles to Jerusalem and he would have stayed there. But you know what? Those people didn't want him. Those people were trying to kill him. See, what I want you to understand is that Jesus was protected because God wants each and every single one of us to have him on the inside of us. And if he had allowed him to go and be mistreated. By the way, if Jesus had not, if not had Herod's son and all that trying to kill him, if he had went to, to Jerusalem at a young age, he'd have been taught wrong teachings. You know, sometimes we need to find out, are we being taught wrong teachings? We need to be moved away from those things that are trying to teach us the wrong way to do it. You know, several years ago, I was, I was working, um, and I'd been doing this thing all of my life. I mean, all of my adult life, I had, I had been, in fact, you might, you might like this, Vicki. I was, I was actually working in a Cisco router, and I was doing this configuration it took me forever to do it, forever. And we had hired this guy on from another place, and the guy looked at me, and he goes, how do you do that again? And I showed it to him, and he said, well, you know there's a function. You know there's a, there's a shortcut that you can do. And he showed me that in five seconds I could do this shortcut, where it was taking me 10, 20, 30 minutes to to." basically write code within this box to do this. You know that you know that we need people. And sometimes they're not the exact people that we want to have talk to us, help us, and be a part of us. 
But see, having a home is where you have your safe place. Having a home is where you get your information from. Having a home is where is not where your nationality or your group or your region, that is not where your home is. Your home is where God calls you to. Your home is where your belief system comes from. Do you know that my belief system is, we call it the heart. It's the core, it's the innermost part of a thing. And when we change our heart and we change our mind, we can actually obtain the things that God has for us. You know that when I believe something and I truly go after it and God has put that in my heart, then now I have a true belief. I have a true understanding of where I'm supposed to be. You know that that's completely different. It's completely different than what we usually teach with traditions. Traditions, we usually tell people, hey, always believe the exact same thing that you've always been taught. Well, guess what? God's constantly expanding His Word on the inside of me. If you're not reading the Word every single day and changing where you dwell, changing how God speaks to you, then you're not growing. You know, I was talking to someone and they told me that they'd went through this class when they were like 15 years old, 15, 16. And do you know that that was the last time they really got in the Word? And this person's over 40. And I'm sitting there going, you've missed it. You're dwelling. Your, your home is about beliefs that are so far in the past. In fact... If you had went back and asked them, what do you truly believe? They probably don't even remember. I mean, I can't remember what I did last week sometimes. Okay? Much less what I did when I was 15. But see, our, where we live, how we believe, is where God wants us to be. You know, that could mean that I got a brother-in-law. He's out in Texas. His home is not Alabama. His home is where his belief is. He believes he's supposed to be there. He believes that he's supposed to have, he's supposed to have these things in his life, like his wife and his kids. You know, being, being here in, a, in Alabama, I really don't want to go move anywhere else. But you know what? The Lord's been changing my heart about, hey, I could have a home somewhere else if the Lord told me to. Because home is not where I'm from originally. Home is about my belief system with you people. You know what? You people are what keep, keep bringing me back. The Lord, the Lord, when he told me to start a ministry and to start doing this, it was all about you. See, home is not about you. Home is about the other people that you live with. Because if it was about me, we would have slides and stuff in my house and we would just have fun, right? But Heather, she doesn't want slides. And she doesn't want to have fun like that, right? <laughs> See, home is not about a place. Home is not about a region. Home is not about a nationality. Home is about what I believe is to be the truth. And see, I want you to understand that Jesus came to make his heart his belief into our heart. You know, as Joseph, I, I, I think about Joseph a lot because if I think about when I have kids, if the Lord told me to do something for my kids. Think about this. The man was told by an angel, stay with Mary. The man was told, hey, by an angel, go to Egypt. They're trying to kill you. They're trying to kill the kid. Hey, Go, to, go somewhere else. Don't go back to Jerusalem. Don't go back to, to Bethlehem. Go somewhere else. This man had to have a lot of belief. He had to have a lot of faith. You know, I give him lots of credit because that is a hard thing. I, I just, I think about that a lot. I think about, you know, how much faith it takes for you to go, hey, I'm going to stay and I'm going to do something for someone that, I don't even, it's not even my child. In a dream, he was told about all this. 
How many people would have said, I had some pizza last night. That's what. I'm not supposed to go to Egypt. See, that's what I want you to understand is that home is where your belief is. And that's what Joseph did was he made his home wherever it was that was best for Jesus. See, he didn't just have the Gentiles. He also had a dad on earth that was looking out after him, that was setting up traditions. And we don't know what happened to Joseph. We believe he died sometime between, between the time Jesus was born and they moved to Nazareth all the way up until Jesus started his ministry at 30 years old. We know that at 12 he was around because he was, Joseph found him in the temple. But what I want you to understand is that home is where our belief is. Romans 8, 9 through 11, we're going to find out that Christmas comes to dwell in the hearts of a believer. And it says in verse 9 here of Romans 8, it says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he is not his. That's pretty simple. See, we have to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior in order for us to be a part of the family. That's all, you know, in a lot of words here, that's all it meant was, hey, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're no longer part of the world's family. You're a part of Jesus' family. And he has created inside of you that signed, sealed adoption paper that's on the inside of us. And if you have the spirit of Christ on the inside of you, you know, I have the spirit of the Cornelius family on the inside of me. You know, throughout my whole life, I've grown up in the Cornelius family. You know, what's crazy about this is the fact that, you know, most people would have thought, well, you know, I pulled Heather over into this crazy Cornelius family, right? But, you know, I started realizing something. I started getting a gullion spirit inside of me you know charlie and reba when i first started getting into the you know doing ministry and doing things they were my number one fan do you know that i never ever ever felt like that i couldn't go talk to charlie or reba about something never you know why it's because the spirit of charlie and reba that was put on the inside of me when i became a part of their family it resides in me i know them and I know what they're going to say. I don't even have to ask sometimes. But you know what's great about being a part of the family? Sometimes you need to hear it. See, being a part of the Spirit of Christ means that you're His. That you're in Him. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of funny because a lot of times, just like everybody else, and if you guys say, well, I never had this happen, then you're lying. Um... But you doubt yourself. I mean, okay, everybody, who, does, who doubts themselves? Come on, everybody get your hand up, all right? If you didn't put your hand up, you still, I know you doubt yourself sometimes, okay? But you know what's happening is when you doubt yourself and you start having a discussion with God about, are you sure, Lord? Are you sure? Do you know, I don't even have to get an answer. Now, sometimes I do. But the first thing that comes into my mind is the Holy Spirit puts scripture where he says that he called me and he equipped me for such a time as this. You know, those scriptures just pop up in my head and it's because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is on the inside of me and he is telling me, yeah, I'm going to keep undergirding you. No matter how much you doubt yourself, I'm not going to doubt you and I'm just going to keep undergirding you. Back to verse 10, it says, and if, and if you are in Christ, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. This word righteousness means a condition of acceptance. It means a right standing. The moment you accepted Jesus Christ, you got accounted for. You know, this word, this word righteousness really is an accounting type word. It means that you were accounted for. It means that, that when God looked at the ledger, he said, I just got credited Heather and I just got credited Caleb because they've accepted me. They're in right standing with me. 
Now, you may be sitting there going, well, it says, you know, the body is dead because of sin. Let me ask you a question. How many people's ever seen a corpse? If you, it, how many people's been to a funeral home? Yep, you go and you sit there and you got, a, you got, you know, you got someone that's in a casket and you walk up to them and everybody's crying and they're, they're talking about, sometimes you have people that's like, oh my God, I can't believe they're gone. And sometimes you got people that's like, they're celebrating their life. But do you know that this is what happened when you accepted Jesus Christ? Your body became dead. You became just like those corpses that you had seen. Now let me ask you a question. If you've, if you've ever seen a corpse, you know that there is nothing in that corpse, right? You know there's no mind, there's no spirit, there's nothing. I mean, you could kick a corpse, you could spin on a corpse, you could, you could cuss out a corpse. They're just going to be a corpse. They're not going to have anything. There's not going to be any problems with that corpse. They're not going to care one way or another. Now, everybody else there will, so don't go and kick or cuss or anything a corpse. So that's not my point. My point is, is that when you got saved, your body became a buffer zone because the world is full of sin. The world is full of sin. And we're being kicked around and cussed Every single day, we have this body that because of sin is dead. That means no matter what happens to our body, we still have Jesus on the inside of us. Does that make sense? We, we, we were split. We basically said, hey, we got this new thing called Jesus on the inside of us, the Holy Spirit. And he was, he's inside of us. He's somewhere in there. Sometimes I think he's a little bit over here and sometimes I think he's a little bit over here and sometimes I think he's all over. Do you know that, that your perception of Jesus has to do with this one thing? He is in you and he's with you and he's around you and he's for you and he's through you. And what you have to understand is that no matter what happens to your body, Jesus is in there. You know, I, I say this all the time, you know, because in, um, in 1, Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians, it talks about how that we, were, that we heard the word, that we accepted Jesus, and that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That basically means we were like vacuum packed. You know, how many, how many people have went and bought a can of like, of Prego? You know, Prego uh, spaghetti mix. You know, the commercial used to say it's in there, right? It would say it's in there. But I could take a whole can of Prego and I could drop it into cow manure. Did it mess with the, uh, the spaghetti sauce? No, but some people might go, I still wouldn't use it. <laughs> but do you know that, do you know that you're... Your body is being dropped in worse than cow manure every single day. And the Holy Spirit is still on the inside of you. Do you know the Holy Spirit is not affected by the smell of the world's manure? Now, you can take that prego and you can go and you can wash it off. You can pop the top on it and you can still put it in there and it's not going to affect Anything that had to do with what was in there. See, that's what, that's what Paul's telling us here is he said, you have to understand that when you have been accepted by Jesus Christ and you've accepted Jesus Christ, he's in you, he's through you, he's around you, he's for you. Then now, it doesn't matter what happens to the body. Your body's dead. Sin does not become the problem of your body anymore. Does the sin become a problem with your mind? Absolutely. Your mind, your will, and your emotions, they get affected by what it sees, hears, tastes, smells, and feels. In fact, we're gonna, I'm actually going to do my spirit, soul, and body. I call it, where's your bubble? After the first of the year, I'm going to do a whole series on it because a lot, of you, a lot of you have not heard that series. But what I want you to understand is that 
is that if you're in right standing with God, that means that you have a condition that's acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then it says right here, it says, but if the spirit in verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's like a one-way valve. How many people have seen a one-way valve? So a one-way valve says I can send stuff through it, but nothing can come back. You know that the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, is a, it's like he's a one-way valve out. He pushes himself out through your dead body and he makes it alive. You know, to everyone else around you, you know, your dead body is, is not keeping your spirit from being messed up. It's basically that vacuum pack seal. It's keeping everything from not making the, the spaghetti sauce on the inside of you ruined, right? So what you have to understand is that with the spaghetti sauce, when it comes out of the can, oh, it makes that pasta so much better. Well, the Spirit of God that's on the inside of you, it quickens your dead body. That means it makes it alive when it needs to be alive. And you can go and you can touch people. You can become a part of a community. See, that's the beauty of what we get through Jesus Christ is he made a home in us and he put a buffer zone. He no longer said, hey, what you do affects what you have on the inside of you. I'm going to say that again. What you do does not affect what's on the inside of you. If sin comes toward you, you turn and you repent. Repent is the word metanoia. It just means I turn away from it. It's like sin is I have a bullseye. I'm trying to hit the mark. I didn't. Well, guess what? Jesus says, oh, the bullseye is over there. Turn. Now shoot your arrow. See, we get do-overs in Jesus Christ now. That's what's so amazing about what we get in him and through him. So the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. You know, our mind is the only thing that is affected by sin. Our mind is the only thing that is affected. And our mind, will, and emotions, those are things we have to renew our mind by the word of God every single day. But you know what? When we have the, the greater one living on the inside of us, it's really easy to go from a bad mind to a good mind like that. You know, my mind can be changed all the time. You know, I have my mind changed all the time. In fact, I was, I was actually, I, I was going to, this week we had a few people that really started digging at Pastor Dusty at work, Right? So I'm not Pastor Dusty at work. I'm just the whipping post at work, right? So being the whipping post at work, you got people that are like, oh, we know you're going to go on vacation. Oh, you're, we know you're going to do this. Can you have this done before you go on vacation? And I want to go, no, I can't do it before I go on vacation. But you know, the thing is, is the Lord kept telling me, he was like, nope. Don't, don't go off on them. Don't do, don't do something that you're going to regret. Listen to them, talk to them, and negotiate with them. So I did. You know, it's so much better is when you start negotiating with people. You go from a list that's like 100 things to, oh, so I only have to do five things before I go on vacation. I can do five things. And you know what? I got it all in writing. But see, if I had not kept my mind renewed and I'd said, you know what? I get to be a jerk one time this year. Let me do it today. <laughs> I'd have a hundred things that I would still have on me because I'd be like, I'm giving that jerk more stuff to do. <laughs> you know that that's what Jesus is trying to do all the time through the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. He's going, shut up. <laughs> Negotiate. Talk. Show the love of God because when you show the love of God, the love of God is going to be shown back to you. Whatsoever things that 
you do, whatsoever things that you put in, they will also be measured back to you. See, that's the beauty of the spirit of Christmas is when a believer actually allows his heart, allows where Jesus lives to come out of them, then things change in life. And see, that's the beauty of where Jesus brought each and every one of us to is because before we were always led by our flesh. And our flesh was what dominated us. But see, now the flesh is dead and the spirit is alive. And I'm, I'm at the very last uh, of this, and, and I'm about to close. But I want, I want to leave you with this one thing. You know, home is where love lives. And, and I want everybody to understand how love lives in us and how we can use love for the way Jesus wanted us to use it. In John 14, 23, it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, If any man love me, he can keep... See, this word keep is... Uh, tear up it means to preserve or to guard so you have to understand is that love is like a preservative love preserves and it says if he will keep or preserve my words his testimony that promise that he gave us and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him This word abode is just the home. You know that when we have love, when we live in love, then we have love abiding and living on the inside of us. You know that you can live every single day stress-free. You know you can live every single day in love and not hate. You know you can live every single day without having strife. Some of it is, let's turn off Facebook and put more love in. Allow him to live in you. You know, I, I love people, but, you know, I also sometimes feel bad for people because I think that they, they have their focus not on who's on inside of them, but that they let that dead man that they're dragging around, tell them, no, the world's bad. The world's got some bad stuff. Don't get me wrong. But you know what? I can also live in love. And then now I carry a new atmosphere with me every single place that I go. You know, everywhere I walk into, and I believe this wholeheartedly, and you will actually, if you're with me, you'll see it. There can be strife and there can be contention and things that are going on, and I can walk into the room, it's over. People start just, it melts away. Now, I do know people that they love strife and contention and they love to amp it up. Let's get it going on some more. You know what? When I see those people, I tell them, stop it. We're not going to live in that. We're going to live in love because love is where our, our, our ability to choose and guard truth. Do you know that if you guard truth in your heart, when somebody comes and says a lie, it, it's, it's like, what? No, that's a lie. Do you know that more and more lately I've been, somebody will say something that is untrue and it just comes out of me. It's like, no, that's a lie. I've been on conference calls where somebody said something stupid and I go, no, that's not true. You know, my heart is more guarded to what is truth, especially when it comes to people. You know, in this time of of year, no matter what people have done, guard people. Guard people. You know, you may have a family member or a friend or something that is going on that you said, hey, I haven't been around that person. The first thing somebody wants to say is, well, you know, last time I was around them, they were good for nothing, sorry, low down. You know, if, if that's the way that you always feel about everybody, you know, people are going to wrong you. They're going to. You, you spend some time with people, they're going to wrong you, okay? One way or another, 
But you know what love does? Love says, hey, that wronged me. Did you mean to do it? And you'll find that most people go, no, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't even want to. I, I, was, just, I was just being there. I was just talking. I was just being the person that I thought I was. And you know what? Love goes and confronts. Love speaks truth. Because when we finally get down to the bottom of what truly is going on, love conquers all the issues. Do you know that right now you can have a Christmas season that is coming up and you may say, I don't want to be around that family member. I don't want to be around that, that person that used to be my friend. And I tell you right now, go and talk to them and tell them that you love them. Have a truth session. Don't have a, I'm going to wag my tongue at you and tell you all the bad things you've ever done to me. No, tell them the truth. Hey, that hurt my feelings. And I don't want that to be between me and you. Do you know that, that our ability to choose and guard truth, especially the truth and promises of God, allows us to live in perfect love and love becomes our home. That's how you reduce strife is you speak truth. You talk to people about truth. In John 15, 11 through 12, it says, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you know that, do you know that this commandment, love God, love your neighbor, it's all about truth and it's all about choosing. You know, every single day, Heather and I get to choose each other. I'm madly in love with my wife. Do you know why I'm mad with, madly in love with my wife? Is because she told me that I should be. Okay? <laughs> and you know what I said? I chose and said, yep, I agree. And you know what? I walk up to her every single day. I walk up and I say, I love you. And that's the way I tell her, hey, you should love me too. And she says, I choose to love you too. And see, that's what true love is. See, love is not this, oh, well, you know, it's all this romance scenes and all this other stuff. I got news for you. If you have kids, there's no more time for that, at least for a little while. But see, choice every single day. That's what true, madly, loving, that's what true romance Everything is, is that I get to choose people every single day. I choose you guys every single day. You know what? You may come back and say, Dusty, you've wronged me. And I go, please tell me. Let's have some truth sessions. Go ahead, Matt. Do you know that as we're closing out here, you know, I want you guys to replicate love this Christmas season. You know, your traditions are one way of being able to get people together. But just because you get them together doesn't mean that you're going to have truth. Just because you get people together doesn't mean that you're going to choose them. See, we have to get people together and then we have to love them. See, truth and love starts with a choice. You know... I'm going to pray over us all. If, if you have a prayer request or something, I will be here after the service and we can talk about that. But I'm wanting to spend just a few minutes of time and I'm wanting us to, I want us to pray for truth and love to come out. And that there are people that are in your, your families and your friend groups, maybe they were in your friend group at one point in time, that you can make reconciliation with. But there'll be new people that will come that you'll say, I don't know if I like them. Well, guess what? God never asked us to like anybody. He asked us to love them. See, if you don't understand what that means, I'll tell you real quickly. See, I may like Greg because he plays guitar and everything else and, and we can talk about technology and we can talk about all this other stuff. But you know, liking somebody means that... I see something in them that's like me. 
may find people that were complete opposites. And you know what? Love is a choice. Love says, hey, I choose you no matter if you're not like me or not. See, that's what we have to find in our hearts is when we're with family members or friends or people who are our frenemies, you know. We find those, those opportunities. We find those, those abilities to point it out that I choose you and I love you. And I'm going to do things with you because I love you. Not because I like you. In fact, stay away from all the things that you like. Find out what they like. You know, this is the way that we build relationships. And relationships goes from love to like. I know that's completely backwards of everything you've probably ever been told. You were like, you like people and then you love them. No, that's not the way it is. Choose people first, and choice is love, and love will then turn into like. You know, when I saw Heather, I just thought she was beautiful, right? But I started to choose her. And then when I chose my wife, you know, she didn't like steak. Oh my God, we'd go to Steakhouse and she'd order chicken. Okay? We'd go and watch a football game and she'd go shopping. That's what, that's what Reba does now when we go. But you know what's funny is that because me and Heather started loving each other, we started choosing each other, Heather likes a lot of the stuff I do now. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. You come to my house for a football game, my wife wants to watch the football game, okay? So ladies, I'm just letting you know right now, if you come over to the house, or Heather's going, trying to find out, did Alabama just score? You know why? It's because now she likes things that I like. But that started with love. That started with, oh yeah, by the way, she eats a medium rare steak too now. So it's, and fish, oh my God. She didn't like anything that I liked. You know that that's one of the reasons why lust is so bad is because most people will end with lust. I get to the point of lust and that's all I ever got to. And then at the end of lust is if I don't choose you and we get into love, then eventually you have nothing that you like about the other person. See, that's what I want you to understand about your family and frenemies and all the other people that are out there that if you love people, you won't worry about like. You'll just say, I choose you no matter what. We're still going to talk. We're still going to have a good time. We're going to have tradition. And we're going to love on each other. Amen. I want to uh, pray for us. Like I said, if you have any prayer requests or anything like that, I'll be available afterwards. Everybody just bow your head. Father, we come to you in Christ Jesus' name. We just thank you, Father, that in this time where the spirit of Christmas, Jesus Christ himself, came to this earth 2,000 years ago, Father, that you, that you brought about this new kind of love where, where we didn't have to go and find God and constantly be, be searching for you, Father. That you said, ah, I'm going to bring this new covenant where I now have this experience of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ living on the inside and that now I have right standingness with God. That, Father, you didn't like us, but you loved us. And you kept coming after us. And you kept bringing about opportunity so that we could live with you. I pray right now in Jesus' name that all the people that are in here, the people that are listening to this podcast, I just pray in Jesus' name that you're going to bring to your, their remembrance, Father, people that they need to reach out to and that they need to love on and that they need to have truth sessions with and that they need to create traditions and opportunities and that right now you're just showing them these people 
and you're just showing them ways of being able to connect. I thank you, Father, that you just don't give us a, 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 an area and say, go do it, but that you actually come and say, hey, these people, and here's how you do it. I just pray right now in Jesus' name that you are giving them that truth and grace, Father, to be able to have those opportunities with those people. Bring other people across their path this week so that they can show Jesus to them. And we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray.